it a two-point game. Oh, here's the mismatch right here. Now it's Luka. Deep three on Luka Magic! Welcome back to 77 Minutes in Heaven, the Dallas Mavericks podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. Brian Damaris here with Mark Followell as the season is over. It is over as we speak to you on this Sunday night, August 30th, after a 111-97 final score in Game 6 today. Clippers win the series four games to two as the Mavs fall again, 111-97. And I say that score because it was... The only time in the bubble that the Mavs scored less than 100 points. And I think, by the way, it's the only game uh, involving the Mavs where where both teams didn't score 100-plus. I think that all their uh, seeding bubble games, both teams were over 100. So it was a tough way to end the season. Not terribly unexpected, I guess, especially with the loss of Porzingis. But, uh, yeah, it's all over, Brian. 4-2 in the first round. So I, I was thinking about this as, you know, you just have the natural disappointment Mm-hmm. you know, of a season ending. Uh, it's been 30, a month, 30 days since we started this with the Rockets game on July 31st. Yep. And when this posts on Monday, it'll be August 31st, so exactly one month. Boy, it seems like a lot longer than that, doesn't it? <laughs> it does, yeah. That's, I mean, everything in 2020 is uh, seems much longer than it is. I think part of the reason it might seem longer is maybe because they arrived in the bubble I said this at the end of the telecast today. I mean, for the Mavs, the bubble started really July the 8th. Yeah, that's, when they, two months. that's when they got there and the seating game, or I'm sorry, the scrimmages started, I think, July 22nd. They started playing scrimmage games and they played three of those. So I think that's probably part of the reason why it seems a little bit longer for me is because knowing the Mavs were down there when they were, when they started practicing, when we started doing, you know, broadcast of the scrimmage games. But um, from a from an NBA standpoint, so far so good uh, in terms of what they're doing down there in the bubble and uh, a health protocol standpoint, uh, you know, and 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 now there's a lot to watch in terms of what goes down with that in the next six weeks. But the Mavs got through their part of it uh, just from the from the health aspect of things. A okay. Well, you know, I remember this from my time working there because the playoffs are such, and I've said this before, it's a it's a sprint and a marathon at the same time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's 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 obviously the busiest time for people uh, in basketball operations because you're, whether you're, you know, Casey Smith on the health side or guys on the analytics side or coaches or players, uh, you know, you're constantly reviewing film, making adjustments, uh, working really hard, but it also lasts a really long time, you know, two weeks usually for a series. Mm -hmm. And there is just a massive letdown when it's finally all over. Right. And the worst part is knowing that, you know, you reached this point in the playoffs and to get where you want to go, which is the mountaintop, you've got to go through, you know, draft workouts, which obviously are remote this year and free agency and a draft and training camp and mm-hmm. just, you know, preseason yep. and then the, the grind of regular season games all over again, just to get back to where you are now. And, it, you know, it takes a, a week or so to get that, just uh, slump shoulder out of your system and I'm sure even as a broadcaster you you know you reach this height and we're you know it was just a week ago we were on the 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 high of Luca's shot you right. know and then and then it's just it's over mm-hmm. and I, I do feel some of that I guess probably the reason I don't feel it quite as much is because you know we didn't get to talk about this a whole lot at the beginning of the series 
Um, maybe a little bit, but I guess if you'll recall, I kind of said that if there were ever a year to buck historical trends, this would be it. And of course, nothing like that has come remotely close to happening. Of the seven, eight seeds, the Mavs are the one that by far made the best series out of anything. Orlando won the first game as the eight seed and then lost four straight. Portland won their first game as the eight seed, then lost four straight to the Lakers. Brooklyn was a non-factor and a four-game sweep against Toronto. Three of the East series were sweeps. Yeah. And there's only three games, three series that are even going to six at least. You know, I mean, this will be, you know, conversations for down the road, but I can recall talking to the hardline uh, years ago whenever the Mavs were in their stretch of they would get into the playoffs post-championship and, and be one and done. And, you know, I, I would say every year, the thing that the Mavs have to figure out how to do, and of course this is going to be like the next step for next year, is that that just if you're going to base it on what happens historically speaking in the NBA, there are now 74 series involving a one versus eight seed and 74 series, obviously involving a two versus seven seed since they expanded to this playoff setup that they have in 1984. Uh, For some of those years, the first round was best of five. Obviously since 2003, we've been best of seven, but now we're, we're 74 series deep into this and the one versus eight matchup is 69 and five, and the two versus seven matchup is 69 and five. I mean, you basically have a one in 15 chance, uh, historically speaking, if you're a seven or eight seed of winning. At least when you get to the three versus six matchup, then I think 19 six seeds have won, or maybe Utah would be the 19th if they, if they end up beating Denver uh, in the series that's in the sixth game tonight with Utah leading as we're watching it and, and leading the series three games to two and, and at least a little bit of a lead they've got in game, game six of that series. So, you know, that's probably why for me, um, you know, I understand a player and coach doesn't think like that, a broadcaster, you know, and pre- preparing and getting your notes together. I mean, and, I, and I've done a lot of these series now, you know, unfortunately, where the Mavs have been a seven or eight seed over the course of the last uh, eight or nine years since 2011. So maybe you kind of come to terms with it. And so it's not quite a slump shoulder of a moment for me. But I also know this, Brian, uh, two things. I know that every person down there in Orlando that's making their trip back home certainly is disappointed. I mean, they went there with, you know, they're not thinking about whatever the odds are for a seven or eight seed. They went there with the idea of accomplishing great things uh, and big time things, much bigger than just getting in. Uh, You know, the other thing is, though, I think that that as you and I have talked about many times, and this goes all the way back to, um, you know, our ticket post game shows when the season began in October. For this year, I don't know that hanging a banner is the way I would approach it, but it was mission accomplished in terms of Luca and Kristaps Porzingis and the the two guys who are the cornerstones of the, t- the team needed to experience playoff basketball, needed to get there and experience it, and everything else was gravy once you at least got them in the playoffs the first time. Yeah, I think there's there's you know we're going to talk about where do we go from here, and we sure. can talk about specifics of, of the series, but. There's two ways to look at this. One is, what did we feel like, you know, a week and a half ago of what we were going to be happy with coming out of this series? Mm-hmm. And then what, were we, what did we think at the beginning of the year? And so right. you brought up the beginning of the year, and I think by any measure, it exceeded expectations. The, right. the win total, if you put it on an 82-game basis, uh, exceeded everybody's, yeah. you know, most people had them from 40 to 44 wins. Yeah, and if you put it on an 82-game basis, the Mavericks were a 47-win team right. basically this year. Uh, Luka's a bonafide MVP 
uh, candidate going forward. He took a huge leap. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think we both, again, and we've said this before to our uh, normal listeners of the podcast, we think he's first-team All-NBA this year. No not, not in our opinion. We think he will be voted yes, by, by those who do that, first-team All-NBA this year. He'll be fourth year. in the MVP voting. And, you know, who knows? He may even win most improved player. We don't know. Yeah. Um, but probably not. But uh, the, you know, Porzingis came back from his injury, uh, you know, and by the second half of the year was consistently putting up 30-point games. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Hardaway turned into not just a throw-in from the Porzingis trade. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you saw Maxi really come into his own. You saw Dodo turn into a, not a four-on-five player, you know, not a Lou Dort, but a guy that you can actually rely on. Yep. Who actually shot above average from three-point range this year. Yeah, yeah, really jumped from 31%. I mean, his first three years in the league were 29, 30, and 31%, and he jumped to 37.5% this year. Uh, and then, you know, obviously the goal was to make the playoffs. Everybody said that, you know, the first day you were talking to guys at training camp. Yep. And they did that. So from all those measures, it's a success. Now, would we have loved to win the first round series? Sure. If we'd been six, I, I would put us against Denver or Utah or even Houston or Oklahoma city and, 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 you know, maybe even have an over 50% chance we'd win against those guys. Yep. But now we fast forward to, you know, what we thought at the beginning of the series. And if I told you that we were going to win, it was, we were going to take them to six. Mm-hmm. And in none of the six games have both of our best players for the entire stretch of the games. Right. Uh, I think you'd take that. I would. Yeah. I think you're exactly right. Because, you know, game one, we're winning. Mm-hmm. By five, when Porzingis is tossed out with seven eleven to go into first. Right. In game two, Luca plays four of the last eighteen minutes right. due to foul trouble. Foul trouble. In game three, he is you know comes out of the game because the injury. Yep. Gets hurt plays. late in the third quarter. Leaves. Comes back for two or three minutes and clearly isn't himself and doesn't play the last nine minutes. Um, they win game two, of course. Then three, they lose. Four in four, five, and six, no Porzingis. Right. So they really never played their full, you know. They've been so much on those two guys. They never really got to play a full, even a full game with those two players. Mm-hmm. Yet they win two games and really only get embarrassed in one of those, which, frankly, there was probably going to be one of those games in this series. Sure. Uh, is it disappointing they didn't have a really good shooting game? Sure. But you're talking about a really good defense mm-hmm. in the Clippers. Yep. So, you know, I kind of like the fact that it was a bruising uh, rough series. I want them to get that kind of experience and learn that that is what playoff basketball is like. Absolutely. They, they unquestionably needed that, and this will serve them well in the long run, having experienced it. So if we're being, you know, yes, I have the short-term disappointment, but if I'm really being, you know, realistic about where the path of this team is in the Luka Mavs, um, I think this experience will serve them well. The foundation is is set. Now, since you know we have a lot of, I feel like we probably got a lot more big picture things to talk about, but I would like to uh, pick your brain or at least hear what you just thought about the game today, game six itself. I thought that they got out-talented, frankly. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just, they, you know, it showed that when you don't have Chris Stops in there, uh, you know, I've said this before, you know, I think the Clippers are the best team in the NBA. And right. So uh, they have more talent. It was one of those games that we've seen when you're playing a team with more talent where you're you're down four to 
nine to 12 points kind of the whole game and you're mm-hmm. trying to constantly claw back and they got it to six at half and then it blew up on them in the third and then they they clawed back the last eight minutes of it to get it back to six and then uh i think doc put uh Kawhi in earlier than you probably wanted to with about 10 and a half to go in the fourth and that was all she wrote at that point I would say there's two things about it that that I wanted to kick around a little bit. Uh, the the beginning of the third quarter and the way they played the first few minutes of the third quarter really disappointed me. And it, the game, of course, got away from them on the scoreboard, and they did battle back and got to within six, as you said. But but I just it was a letdown to see them come out and be so in love with the jump shot. And I understand it's a jump shooting league and the Mavs are, you know, right there at the top when it comes to taking threes, but it was clear that they didn't have the three today, uh, that they were, they really were struggling. They really haven't had it all series, 100% tonight. And yeah, it's just to, to not try to make something, you know, more things happen in terms of getting inside and creating some opportunities. And even when they did do that, they missed their open threes that they created off opportunities. So that just uh, the way they were playing at the beginning of the third, um, and, I mean, look, Rick saw it. Rick took a timeout, like, what, a minute and four seconds or whatever it was into the third quarter? I mean, I think anybody watching the game, if you were watching it and have a sense for these things, you could feel like, uh-oh. You know, it's it's turning in a uh, very concerning direction very, very quickly right now here at the beginning of the quarter. And then, uh, you know, the other, the other talking point is, um, you know, I just – that Marcus Morris business, dude. He's was, just a bum. It just that was, and I'm really glad that the rest handled the right way because I mean, there's you not could a look at it yeah. in a vacuum and say, "All right, it's a flagrant one," but knowing what happened with the ankle and the, you know, oh, I didn't mean to do that, uh, knowing his history, uh, you had to throw him out. And you know, Scott Foster, the crew chief, uh, you know, he's one of the most uh, you know veteran officials in the league right now, or at least is at the top of the list when it comes to finals assignments and things like that. He was asked by a pool reporter after the game uh, what he saw on the flagrant and you know, gave the answer that you would expect, said that you know, there was contact at the, with the neck and there was a wind-up and all that sort of stuff. And he actually was asked by the pool reporter uh, if, if Morris's history had anything to do with it. And he said, no, absolutely not. And I think... Of course, we know it was. Yeah. Well, honestly, to me, that's, like, that's a flagrant to... For anybody, he also hit him on the head with his left arm. Going yeah, I mean, it before was he hit the, before he even did the right arm. Yeah, next swipe. I mean, that's a that's a shot. I mean, I'll defer to my partner to Derek Harper on this one as well. Whenever you heard his reaction to it on the air today, I think that's something that uh, every every human being, let alone basketball player, pretty much would want to fight if you got hit like that in in any sort of situation. So, and thus that's why that was Luca's reaction and. Every assistant coach came barreling off the Thank bench. Boban, the biggest guy <laughs> yeah. in the NBA, was there to kind of block him. I mean, that was the look. That was a wild look. Especially in considering Luca's eyes. Luka basically dismissed Morris after what he tried to do to him uh, in the last game. And, you know, it wasn't one of those Harold situations where they were going to hug it out before the game. He, he doesn't want to, he was not going to have any yep. WWE talk with Morris. Sure, sure. So that was. Uh, that was really just frustrating and and just anger-inducing to see that. I, I don't know if you could hear what now I said. Now, what's the rule? Flagrant 2, that's it? He's not suspended for the next game. He's just this one. Yeah, unless the league looks at it and decides to suspend him. Okay. I mean, not to, and they certainly have the jurisdiction to do that. I don't think that they would, but they certainly have, the again, the jurisdiction to do that. You know, one of the things I said in the telecast today was that 
Um, and maybe maybe I'm naive, and and Harp didn't say that, but he said that you know it was it was a dirty play, and he and this is not the first time. But but I said today, kind of thinking back about the ankle thing, you know, 21 years of being around this, Brian. I feel like that in watching guys in the league and just the the immense amount of respect I have for for how hard it is to get there and stay there and compete and be successful as a player, that there is some sort of code of ethics of, you know, we we play against each other very hard, but it's a fraternity, it's a brotherhood, there's very few of these jobs, quite obviously, and, you know, you don't want to do things to mess up the opportunity for a guy for that window of time in his life that you can compete at this level and also, look, make life-changing money. And and so I, I just always generally err to the side of thinking that there's just this, uh, you know, at the end of the day, there's the fraternity and brotherhood of the NBA. And, uh, you know, so, so I'm usually kind of one to dismiss nefarious reasons for doing things. But, I mean, what happened today, especially in light of what happened earlier this week, it's, it is 100% undefendable. You know, there's nothing you can say about uh, the respect factor and taking care of one another and doing, you know, and, and, and playing the right way and all that. That was just, that was as bad as it gets today in terms of a, of a foul like that. Yeah. For, for this era of basketball. Yeah. I know that the bad boy Pistons would laugh at it, but, but for this era, right. <laughs> for this era of basketball, that's as, that's about as bad as it gets. Uh, one of the things, you know, that we saw was that they, they were, you know, trapping some and blitzing some on Luca mm-hmm. and getting the ball out of his hands. And that's where, you know, we're going to talk about roster composition. Um, you know, that's where the Mavs, especially without KP, are really hurting because the other players, you know, are mainly shooters on the offensive side. and They don't have the ability to create their own shot. So they're, they're getting it and then, you know, either hoisting it up or trying to drive at some level. But um, it really shows somewhat of the limits of the offense and the way the offense is constructed. It's a great, you know, obviously the best, offensive efficiency in the history of the NBA, but in the playoffs when, you know, teams are playing tougher, uh, shots aren't as easy to come by. Um, you know, as we said, relying on the jump shot, uh, can, can kill you sometimes. And so, I mean, the Rockets know this, right. You know, from some of their past experience and there will probably be Brian, uh, someone, I mean, look, the best offense in the history of the NBA from an efficiency standpoint, that the record the Mavs broke was set by the Golden State Warriors of the 2018-19 season. And the Mavs set a new record this year, and that might be one of those records that a new level of it is going to be set every year or every other year moving forward until we get to whatever the ceiling is on how much you can shoot threes in a game, until we figure out what that, that ceiling the, the is. And the analytics geeks say that there seems to be diminishing returns starting at about 65% of your shots being threes. Really? I have not heard anybody yes. actually establish that. That was from the MIT Sloan Conference uh, this March. So 65%. So yeah. we're a long way <laughs> we're a long way from getting there then. Yeah. <laughs> because the Mavs this year were basically about 45 or 46%. And I don't know what Houston was, obviously more than that, but but I mean they might have been right at 50%. I think know? they were. Uh, so yeah, we're still I guess we're still quite a ways from that then. All right, can I uh, can I interest you in and in, uh, just if I throw out some some performances by the people that matter sure. uh, in this series? Let me know what you think. Uh, you know, Porzingis. It's it, it's. I just wish he'd gotten to play more than two and a half games. I mean, to play two and a half games and average twenty three point seven and eight point seven rebounds 
and shoot 52% from the floor. It's just, I mean, that maybe more than anything, take away getting hurt and how it impacted the series. I mean, that's, I just, every minute out there would have been good. And the fact that this first playoff experience for him, I mean, obviously he played well. The fact that it only ended up as basically playing two and a half games is, that's a bummer, man. Yeah, and I guess we can get into, before you, before you do a stats rundown, let's get into a little bit of Kristaps' talk. Okay, sure. Um, yeah. You know, you, you, you watch Mavs Twitter as much as anybody, and, um, you know, I, I think, listen, this is a, this is a manageable injury. I mean, it's, he's either going to get it scoped or, or, you know, a lot of his comments recently has been, you know, they're going to try to do it without surgery to start. Yeah. But even with surgery, and we know people that have gotten this surgery and, you know, they bounce back just fine. Mm-hmm. And he brought up yesterday PRP in- injections, as a matter of fact, when he spoke on uh, Saturday and had a media availability that, that he was received uh, those platelet-rich plasma injections uh, to help the knee heal itself. Uh, he did describe the play, and, of course, it's Marcus Morris' fault yeah. in it. Just, you know, kind of a, a little bit of a Zaza, Kevin Durant kind of play. Remember when Zaza fell sure. into Durant's knee? And it sounds like I never went back and looked for it, but Porzingis said it happened early in game one, going for an offensive rebound, and somebody, and he said it was Morris who fell into his knee. And, and that's what happened to it. And as I said on one of our pregame shows, you know, this is not a matter of him being soft or not wanting to play through pain. I mean, he, he, couldn't, he couldn't move it. Yeah. I mean, he said the knee locked up, and he said he was bothered by it during game one. The training staff worked on a little bit at halftime, and he was good to go, and then got ejected three minutes into the second half or whatever it was of game of game one. Then he locked up between games one and two. They got it going. He was able to play game two. He played game three. Uh, he said it got worse during game three, but the dude played two games. Uh, well, he almost played the whole time down there. Uh, almost all of his minutes in Orlando, basically, were all of his playoff minutes in Orlando were after sustaining a, a, a collision to the knee that caused a lateral tear in his meniscus. You know, now, who knows what it was when it began and did it get a little bit worse because he played those, those extra minutes? I don't know. But yeah, he played with a torn meniscus down there for two and a half games. And still gave the numbers you just mentioned. Yeah, so 23 and 8. I think we can dismiss the soft talk. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's an issue. Now, the other major question, and, and I'm sure you've been getting bombarded like I have, is, okay, now this guy's damaged goods. Uh, it, you know, We shouldn't have signed him that big deal. Uh, he'll never be healthy, et cetera, et cetera. And I just think this is a unfortunate injury to me a meniscus doesn't seem to be oh my gosh he's too big for his legs injury right yeah <laughs> right which which that does happen with seven two and seven three guys i mean you know there would there certainly is a history of that uh remember all of the foot problems although he ended up getting him worked out but like zadrunas ilgauskas for example yeah, would I mean, have yeah a, a lot of foot problems early right. in his career so i think that you know th- the question is is he just you know is he, is he too big for his, his legs? You know, always had the ACL on the one knee and now it's the other knee. And is it, is it going to be, is it going to be Chandler Parsons? Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't see this injury as we need to worry about him because we've seen a lot of, I mean, I've just been, you know, personally and on Twitter getting a lot of angst about Porzingis of just, this guy's going to be hurt every year. Well, it's, Porzingis himself was actually asked about that in his media availability, Brian, and he pointed out that the ACL and this particular injury were contact injuries, and that's a good thing. 
in terms of right. they're not just you're just getting hurt you know running our good buddy casey smith who's been on this podcast and who's the mavericks director of athletic uh health and performance i know that he and i have discussed in the past the players getting serious non-contact knee injuries that's your concern right contact knee injuries uh you know although of course in an ideal world you wouldn't want them to happen but but that's what we're talking about with Porzingis the nature of his right knee injury that happened in December I think that more sound like that was kind of a wrenched you know knee situation that cost him some time but basically Porzingis and he got played through that and really didn't have much yeah after effect I mean two after weeks, the three weeks yeah. yeah two weeks after he came back is when he hit that hot streak where he basically from the last 15 games he played before the shutdown was averaging between 25 and 26 points and 11 rebounds a game and shooting 50 percent from the floor and 38 or 39 percent I think from the three-point line so so look here was his year um he got, you know, they set him on back-to-backs, not all the time. Uh, I think probably they they played him on maybe four or five of the 11 or 12 back-to-backs they ended up playing. Uh, so he set more on back-to-backs than he didn't, but he, but he did play both games of a back-to-back sometimes. He had two injuries this year. That's what it was. You know, he had the, the right knee problem that cost him from – uh, New Year's Eve until the 20th or 21st of January, whatever it was, and then this, which – you know, had it been, who knows how much time it would cost him if the Mavs were still playing. So you don't, you don't have the fear that, you know, this is just going to be a perennial problem either. No, I don't know that he's ever going to play 82 games, but, but I don't have a fear that it's, it's going to be a, um, you know, you're it, it, perpetually waiting for the other shoe to, to drop. Right, like a, a Chandler Parsons situation where you're just, yeah. you're never going to finish the year and you're just always going to be hurt and just, you know, your body's not allowing you to stay healthy. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't feel like that's going to be the case. So obviously a disappointment. Um, Listen, I I think Rick said it Saturday that, you know, if the Mavs advanced, it wasn't out of the question that he was going to play still. Yes. And and KP certainly was, was really pushing that in his, in his media media availability as well which was basically i played with this injury for a couple of games so if somehow we can get my knee going again i mean i don't see any reason why i couldn't try to like fight through it and play with this injury and i think that goes back to remember when rick said after the mri that there's nothing that would not allow him to play i think that's what rick was saying was that you could play with that injury and not hurt it more but it's just a matter of whether it locks up and you can loosen that up or not right and I think that's where the confusion was yeah. when Rick's initial comments and then, you know, the next morning he was out, mm-hmm. right? And so you're like, well, why did Rick say that if the MRI – well, the MRI didn't come back clean, but it also is something you can play with if you're able to loosen it up enough to play. Yes. I, I think that a lot of people I, I read and heard assigned uh, to Rick saying, well, he said that Porzingis had a clean MRI, which is never what he said. He he. There was nothing on the MRI. He said there's nothing on the MRI that a day before the game rules him out from playing. Is what he said after they did the MRI post game four. So, and I was confused once he was once the prognosis came out why he said that. But now I get it because you know he wouldn't injure it more playing. It's just a matter of whether, as you said, they could you know after it locked up that initial time and it got loosened up, whether they could do that again. Right. Um, so, you know, I'm perfectly comfortable with, with KP. And look, he's a uh, super important part, clearly, of what the Mavs have moving forward. 
So let's just kick quickly around the other performances uh, that players had in this series. Hardaway, uh, bad game today. Clearly his worst game of the series in Game 6. Ends up averaging about 18 points per game. Uh, keep in mind, this is a guy who was about 16 points a game in the regular season. 42 from the floor, 35 from three. His percentage just took a hit because of his bad game today because they were, they were certainly better than that going into this particular game. Um, so certainly had a good year. And, I mean, the 50 starts he had I mean, gave a real lift to the team and played well beyond expectations. I wish that he had had just one game in the series where he got just electric hot, like he has the capability of doing. I think if you ended up looking at a series, although his overall shooting percentage was good, he only had one game where he shot 50%, and that was uh, you know, something that had no impact at all on the game because it was game five, and he was 7 of 14. Everything else was okay, 7 of 16, 9 of 19, 8 of 18, performances like that, they're all in the mid-40s, but he never had a game where he just went bananas. Listen, this is who he is. He's an 18-point average shooter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's... Best case. And that's what, you know, when we get into kind of roster stuff a little bit later, that's where we have to have the discussion because, you know, yes, once he was inserted in the starting lineup, he got more open looks, he shot better, uh, you know, he hustles on D, but he's never going to be an elite defender and he's going to be a streaky shooter. Mm -hmm. And he's going to give you 18 points a game. Sometimes he's going to give you 29. Sometimes he's going to give you nine. Um, It's just who he is. And we're going to have to talk about how that fits into things going forward. Seth Curry, 12.8 points per game in the series. Shot 58.5% from the floor. 47.6 from three. Great percentages. Um, Again, a couple of games where he was pretty quiet, though. Well, that's Seth Curry. I mean, again, you know, 47% from three. Yeah, you don't get the volume that you would want from somebody who's shooting 47% from three. And so, yeah, it, it is the, it's why Seth Curry is making $8 million a year and not 17 because he's, you know, wildly, he, he just disappears and he gives you nothing really on the defensive end. Trey Burke, interesting discussion to be had here. Uh, tough game today, two for 10, but ended up uh, in his, Bubble seeding games, averaging around 11 points per game. And in the series, averaged 12.3, shot 51% from the floor, shot 47% from three, chipped in three boards and two assists a game. Um, You know, had a huge hand in winning game four, and I think was so good in game four, the Clippers were like, whoa, whoa. Whoa, we're going to do something about this. And he got on their radar at that point. And that clearly, you know, his his shots weren't falling today. And I think the putting a longer defender on him in game five neutralized him. He still had a good shooting line, but he didn't take very many shots in the critical parts of game five when there was still a chance for something to happen. Um, and then, you know, a lot of the scoring and shooting that he did that was that he was making shots was after the game was long since decided back in game five. Yeah, I mean, listen, this is a guy who, you know, he was out of the league for five months for a reason. He's he's a high-energy guy, another streaky guy, fearless, um, can play make, was a godsend for us. Yes. You know, in, in, because of injuries, playing, you know, had a few huge games. Um, you know, again, when we talk about roster, we'll talk about kind of what we need to do with him. But, you know, he's a reserve. 
and he was playing starter minutes. And again, when you put somebody who can really defend on him, then that's when you see the limitations. There were a lot of times I noticed in this game tonight where, you know, when Luca was passing the ball, you get a guy like Maxi maybe at the top of the key or top of the three-point line. Uh, you saw sometimes with Hardaway when he was defended, you know, as soon as the guy got it, he was looking to pass it. Like the guy, he couldn't do anything with it. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no playmaking. There's no shooting. It's like hot potato. <laughs> and that's where the offense really bogged down. Um, a couple of guys, I don't have much to say here. I mean, we know what Boban is. Uh, I'm, I'm skipping over a couple to circle back to them because I have Boban, something to say. Boban had you know, one bad game, a couple of good ones. Uh, the two games the Mavs won were his two games where he scored in double figures. You know, a lot series. of the invisible stuff of setting screens was very essential. Um, you know, I, I didn't have a problem with what Boban gave you. Seven points, six rebounds in about 14 minutes a game in the series. Um, again, I'm skipping over a couple of people I want to circle back to. DeLon Wright didn't even play today. Didn't you know? Didn't even come in there at the end when Rick emptied the bench. Even play outside of garbage. Um, in the series, Wright played. I don't have the the breakdown that you're looking for that specifically. He played 31 minutes in the first three games and scored five points. Then he didn't play in game four. Uh, I didn't write down his minutes in game five. He did have 11 points in game five, but I mean that's just you know that yeah. game is such a throwaway. And then was a DNP coach's decision in Game Six. Yeah, I mean, a real disappointment overall. I think being kind of your marquee free agent signing, mm-hmm. you know, was was tabbed to be your starting two, kind of your three and D playmaking mm-hmm. guy that just never, you know, never really, you know, became a reserve, inconsistent, and I think was a deer in headlights in the playoffs, and that's why he fell out of the rotation. All right, so you know, obviously, uh, you know, there's nobody else uh, farther down the roster. You know, I don't, we don't need to get into, you know, any comments about Kid Gilchrist or Justin Jackson or whatever. But. I just don't understand how a, a basketball player, professional basketball <laughs> player, can shoot shots like Kid Gilchrist <laughs> that are three feet off. I mean, not even close. You're, that's all, that's your job. There is a reason that the bench got so fired up when he made those two threes in game one. <laughs> God, he shot some shots that you're just like, you know, it's unbelievable. I do think there's value in it. I mean, I don't think that he's a piece to the puzzle going forward, but somebody who can defend like he can. Uh, sure. He did help. He did help the team in but game four. Yeah, it's Lou Dort. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So I'm grouping these two guys together because I, I have some interesting thoughts on, on their playoff series performance. Finney Smith. Averaged 10 points. Uh, he also averaged about six rebounds, which is kind of a down number for him based on his seeding games in the bubble. Uh, he shot in this series 44% from the floor and almost 37% from the three-point line. Kleba, um, we all know about his one-for-16 start on threes in this series. He ended up averaging in 34 minutes a game, 6.7 points, 33% from the floor, uh, let's see here. I believe, what is this? He went five for 26 on threes in the series and, uh, averaged six and a half rebounds. So, so four so, of his last 10. Yeah. Yeah. Four for his last 10. Yeah. Started one for 16 and then went four for his last 10 over the last two games. So my thought on this, Brian, uh, cause I really think that you could look at these two guys. I feel like that what I have to say applies to both of them. Although Kleba certainly struggled more overall in this playoff series than Finney Smith did, but both of those players clearly had significant jumps in their games this year. Finney Smith in his fourth year, Kleba in his third year, those both guys, the first year of, 
frankly, team-friendly deals. Yes. Uh, yeah, exactly. Team-friendly deals. And and both shot 37, between 37 and 38% career highs as three-point shooters. Finney Smith established himself as a reliable starter. Kleba was a good bench guy who could, who could start some of the time. Uh, his offense got better this year. I mean, both of those guys averaged around nine points per game. They both averaged in the regular season around five or six rebounds and played solid defense. So they made improvements and showed in the regular season that we are guys that you can count on. I thought this series was great for them to play in. Finney Smith's numbers were, were, were pretty good in the series, 10 points per game. Kleba's numbers were not very good in the series, but still, it's just, it's, I think this series was so important for those guys to say, okay, I can take confidence out of what I did in the regular season. This playoff thing, I got a taste of it, and it's a whole different deal. So now I understand, okay, this year I figured it out how to be a really reliable regular season rotation player on a good team. Now, what's the next thing I need to do to be a reliable playoff contributor? on a team that's like winning playoff series and going deep into the playoffs. So I thought this was an incredibly valuable experience for those two guys in terms of showing you what's the next step. You took a really good step in your career this year. Now what's the next step? I think you're 1,000% correct. That's exactly right. I think that Finney Smith has earned a starting spot on this team going Mm -hmm. forward Mm -hmm. and can be, you know, uh, on a championship team can be one of your five starters. I really think that. Mm-hmm. I think that he can, you know, he's asked to do a lot. He's asked to defend the best player. And and frankly, against Kawhi, most anybody's going to fail at that. And he was just a little too small to handle that. Right, right. Um, but I don't really have a lot of issue with him in this series. Uh, but I do think that you're exactly right. What he'll learn from this, he can take to increase his game. Kleba, I thought, did his best defensively, and, and I'm not really disappointed. You went through some of the numbers last week on on how he really made Kawhi work mm-hmm. for what he got. Kawhi's just at such another level. Yes. Um, offensively, he was a mess, mm-hmm. and even with him kind of finding a shot late. Uh, he looked out of sorts. He looked deer in headlights on that side of the floor. He, he, he looked deer in headlights throughout the series, frankly. I think it was mm-hmm. the, it was a, a shock to the system, as you put it. Yeah. And, and, um you know, it, he had no choice but to be out there because of the depth issues for the Mavs. Yes, so, he was playing a level yeah. up from his comfort level of having to start and play more than he's used to. Um, so, yes, I think if he can take that and grow from it, it will serve him really well. But I think he's best suited to be, you know, an off the bench playing 20 to 25 minutes a night guy. Yeah. I agree with that. Rather than a 30 minute guy that's, you know, out there as much as he is. He's, you know, he's, he is what he is offensively, and he he was, you know, he was shoved around a little bit. I think, and, and it and and it it took him a while to kind of um, get his sea legs a little bit. Yeah, and and of course, you know, look, there's a lot of uh, he certainly isn't the only one who has to shoulder the blame for what happened in the first game. Um, but you know, we'll always wonder what if things start differently in the bubble, in terms of. Sure, winning and and making a move in the standings, you know that right. that that uh, not boxing out Covington, uh, which which he, of... which he threw himself under the bus for two days later when I talked to him on one of the Zoom media availabilities. He said we're making bad mistakes and it starts with me. And know? he has to play like it's game seven, you know, every possession. I don't care if you're up twenty or down twenty, mm-hmm. and that's 
that mindset will then remind you that when you need to box out somebody, you know, <laughs> yeah. you're going to do it. And I think sometimes he, he gets bullied around a little bit. Yep. Because I mean, you know, we'll never know. Uh, that might, you know, it, it wasn't a, or, or I guess maybe they did only, what did they finish? One game? No, I think they finished two games behind They're a Utah. a game and a half, but yeah. But yeah if I you had won it, that game, who knows what, how things could have turned. Right. And, Momentum-wise, they may have not have crapped the bed, you know, against Phoenix or what have you, even though Phoenix was playing really well. Although, I really do like the playoff experience they got against the Clippers. I think playing Denver, um, frankly, they could have won that and then gone and played uh, the Clippers, the Clippers again, yeah. and, and still gotten it. But uh, I, I don't mind the experience that they went through. Sure, sure. We'll always wonder what if, but but I think your point is very well made. This is what we wanted. Um, it would have been better for it to have lasted longer, uh, you know. To but but who knows if they actually would have? We think, but look at you know we're looking at it from a uh, from a positive Mavs point of view. We think that had they played Denver or had they played Houston or whatever, that they would have been in a position to to have a real legit shot to win a series. One that just you know you didn't have against the Clippers, and you know quite frankly exceeded our expectations to make it a six game series. You know one of the things the Mavs are going to do, and, and and I don't know if they're coming back tonight, you know Sunday night or, or Monday morning, but I would assume uh, Monday. Yeah, you know they're going to have exit interviews and 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 uh, exit physicals, and then depart for the. For the off season, you know, I don't think they're actually going to. So, a note I got today from okay. Mavs Media Relations: I don't think that they're going to schedule like a, a rotation of Zoom media availability exit interviews. So, well, so I'm sorry, I, I'm talking internal exit interviews. Oh, okay, I'm sorry, not right. media availability. Sorry gotcha. to the broadcasters yeah. <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, no, uh, no broadcast exit interviews, but but a sit down with Rick and the staff. Yeah, and, so the Rick Rick will sit down with with every player and basically say, you know, here's what I want you to work on. Right, and yeah. I think that uh, you know whatever that is, having this experience is a lot better as you mentioned now with Finney Smith and Maxing knowing okay you know if you'd just gone out in the regular season or maybe lost to Denver in the playoffs and not really had the rough series or really seen an elevated team that's championship level Mm -hmm. you know now you know okay yes I I need to take this to heart I need to you know work on my strength and conditioning or I need to work on shots with guys flying at me, or I need to work on my defensive footwork or whatever it is that, that's going to be on that note card, mm-hmm. you know, or now probably iPad. Um, you know, I think that makes a big difference. I guess I, I sort of glossed over it because obviously I think we'd be so effusive in our praise, but I mean, let's spend a minute or two here on Luca. 31 points. Let I me, mean, let's just, let's tie up a bow on it. Yeah. 31 points in six games yeah, we is average. Take it for granted. Yeah. <laughs> what is happening to us? 31 points, 9.8 rebounds, 8.7 assists, uh, shot 50% from the floor, shot 36-4, so his three-point percentage went up quite a bit from the th- between 31 and 32 that he shot in the regular season. So 36-4 at the three-point line. Uh, sure would like to see better than 65.6 on his free throws in the series. You had an but. interesting tweet, and I don't remember it, so remind me of the, the highest-scoring playoff series in Mavs history. Uh, Dirk against Denver in the second round in 2009, uh, which 
of course, if we all remember what was going on personally in his life at that time. Amazing. Yeah, that he averaged 34.4 in that series. So that's, that's his highest ever. That's the highest scoring playoff series average in Mavs history is that Denver. That's a guy just glowing in the, the protective <laughs> bubble of, of the court. Um, he had averaged 33.3 against KG in Minnesota in a three-game sweep. And the first yes. round in 2002. KG was slamming the uh, court. Yep. Duke yep. style. Uh, next up would be the 32.8 that Rolando Blackman averaged against Portland in the first round in 1985. Dirk averaged 32.2 against Oklahoma City in the conference finals in 2011. He averaged 31.3 in a four-game series sweep of Memphis in round one in 2006. And then next up is Luca at so 31 points good, per game. Yeah, so yeah, so Dirk was good in the playoffs. There's one thing that we've established on the podcast. Well, one thing that Dirk did yeah. was he always increased his regular season numbers in the playoffs. Right. And we saw a little bit of an increase from Luca here. Yep. Now, he was asked to do a lot more, especially without Porzingis in there. Mm-hmm. His numbers are up slightly in scoring, about the same in terms of rebounding and assists. Right. But as you mentioned, his three-point shooting was improved. So I mean, if somebody could have made a shot today, he would have had uh, – well, he ended up, what, 38-9-9 and today, so he wouldn't have had a triple-double. But think of all the assists that were left on the table because nobody could make shots today. Uh, I was really – obviously really impressed with – you know, not, you know, we can look at the shot in game four, but it was leading the charge to bring him back. Mm-hmm. You know, you just saw it in his body language when he yep. would make a, an and one or whatever. And you saw it a little bit, you know, in game six mm-hmm. where it was like, listen, we're not done yet. Let's let's do this. Right. And, um, you know, he'll still bitch at the refs, but I, I saw him channeling it more into his game mm-hmm. in the playoffs. And um, listen, I said it after the game four shot on the post game. Uh, I consider him the favorite for next year's MVP. And I said it in last year's pod, last week's podcast, because, you know, he's just, he's a stud. He, he is an elite player. And in the NBA, you know, we saw it with Toronto and Boston. Toronto's a really good team, but you've got to have a, a stud that can get you buckets and, and carry the team. And you can't just have five really good players. And he's definitely that guy. I haven't tweeted it out yet because I haven't finished out all my research on it, but I'm feeling pretty good about where I am on it right now. I started looking at, okay, what did somebody do in their first playoff series? Now, it's weird because if you go too far back, I don't think you should be counting best of three series that Wilt and George Mikan and those guys played in back in the 50s and, and well, early best 60s. Of three was in the 80s, too. I mean, yeah, all the way up into the early 80s. Ralph Sampson's shot was a best of three against. Well, that was uh, that, I think that was a best of seven. The, oh, that the, was the West Conference final. Yeah, but they against were the Lakers. Best of three back then. Um, so, so in a seven in your first seven game series, and I'll I'll see if there's anybody else, but but I'm feeling pretty good about what I've found so far. Uh, Kareem averaged thirty six point two in his first seven game series, which was his first playoff series, by the way, playing with Milwaukee against Philadelphia in the nineteen seventy Western Division semifinals, I believe, or Eastern Division semifinals. I'm sorry. In uh, LeBron's first playoff series, which was also a best of seven first round series in two thousand six against Washington, he averaged thirty five point seven. Bob McAdoo of the Buffalo Braves averaged thirty one point seven in his first best-of-seven playoff series, which was his first playoff series, a conference semifinal between Buffalo and Boston in 1974, and then uh, Luka at 31. So wow. maybe there's going to be somebody else so in there. better than Magic and Jordan. 
Yes, and their first and best Magic of seven. Obviously, had you know won the title his rookie year. Yeah, and I'll have to uh, I'll have to keep on looking and see maybe if I missed something. Um, you know, a lot of those first series for Jordan were a lot of best of five. So maybe maybe by the time he got to where he was playing at best of seven, maybe he did end up averaging better than the thirty one points that Luca averaged. So I'm not finished on that project yet, but if I add more guys to the list. Uh, they're going to be the kind of names that you just mentioned, which, you know, right. I mean, the greats of the great. There's not going to be, I don't think there's going to be anybody, well, who the hell is that? Get well, added to the list. Tariq Abdul-Ahed <laughs> <Yeah>. or anything. <laughs> Dude, I did not think that you would be able to come up with something that obscure. Um, that was good. So so it's, 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 it's clearly one of the best ever playoff debuts by, I mean, singular, of course, as we know from the first game when he had 42 points, but it's one of the best ever first playoff series by a player in league history. So... If you're writing Luca's note card for, you know, what he should work on and, and, and listen, we're gonna have a full three months mm-hmm. at least. Right. Um to you know, off season. So it, you know, there's still a robust off season for him to work on stuff. Um and, and we're admittedly picking nits here. He's awesome. Of but course. but again, there's always stuff to work on. Right. Dirk worked on, you know, added something every year. Mm-hmm. Uh what would be on that note card? get a process at the free throw line. Agreed. Yes. Whatever it is. Um, and and maybe he has one. I mean, I don't know. Just that's always sort of been my feeling about why he has these moments at the free throw line where he misses a lot. I mean, his percentages may end up looking okay in the end, but the six-game series was just, as I said, 65%. Um, you know, you and I have had this discussion that that – Luca thrives in improvisational, chaotic situations. And the free throw line, of course, is where you have to be your most calm. And he uh, is the best when the game is anything but his best when the game is anything but calm. So it would be that. And it would be obviously, uh, you know, how can you become a better three-point shooter? And some of it would be the dude takes hard shots. And and so I don't know that that's, you know, the, the offense is going to have to run in a better way. I don't know that this is something he can work on as much as this is a team concept of the dude not needs to not be in a position to feel like he has to take all of these difficult threes uh, late in the shot clock that are contested and that are, you know, shots that are going to be why if you shoot a lot of them, uh, you're going to be a 32% three-point shooter. So there's two things there. One is, and I agree with both of those, and I think those are absolutely on target, and I don't, really don't have much to add. Yeah, uh, maybe defense. I mean, you're gonna, I'm, f- I'm fine. He, when he wants to do it, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to. Sure. But sure. Um, two things. One is part of that, what you just mentioned there at the end, is roster composition. We'll get to that. The other is, is as you said, how the offense runs. And I wouldn't mind seeing – more off-ball screens and action on the other side of the court just to distract the defense, if nothing else, mm-hmm. but just more than just four guys standing around. Right. I'd like to see more movement, Golden State style. Houston does some of it. Mm-hmm. Just just movement over there, and maybe some guys pop open and you can get more looks rather than just posting guys in each corner. And, you know, I, I think there's, you know, the offense, to be honest, is – you know, it's pick and roll and it's hammer and there's variations off each of those that they, they kind of run. And that's really it. And, and Rick does say they're best in, and, and Rick said this, you know, the, the sets are to get into flow mm-hmm. and we're best in improvising and flow. I'd like to see them add a few more wrinkles to get into flow. Right. I guess if, if I were going to talk 
and and write something down on the note card for Luca, it would be, um, you know, th- the difference with Dirk was that Dirk was not a guard who had the ball in his hands all the time. So part of the reason the game was played differently. And, and so, you know, he was going to be in different places on the floor and asked to do different things. So he had to work on his game every offseason and add something new because, you know, it was, even though he never really used it a whole lot in games, uh, an offseason would be a hook shot. And I saw him in the summer of, gosh, 2005, mm-hmm. putting up consistent left-handed hook shots right making them he never (laughs) used them in a game except for that one little lefty hook in game three against the lakers in 2011 whenever the lakers are you know right there at the end and he he needed it he he made work on it (laughs) um but he got good with his left hand so that we saw that in you know game two of the 2011 finals yeah yeah i mean luca can put the ball down and 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 you know the handles are there dirk did have to develop his handles for big guy because he was going to be in in isolation situations uh, he had to learn to play part of Avery's influence, taking him from just being a front of the, you know, face of the basket guy that Nelly wanted to yeah. more of a Tim Duncan ish post-ups being able to be in a triple threat position and to be able to create offense out of that. So that's, that's the different thing with Luca is, you know, is because his game already has a level of refinement and because there's different, the game is played differently and he's asked to do different things. I don't know that we'll see things, these like, these things that we can like obviously see every off season. Like I felt like that we could see with Dirk Um, last year though, clearly it was the most important thing was getting better shape. And he absolutely 100% did that. So, you know, this year, um, maybe mentally, you know, it is channeling that frustration with the refs into your play. Yeah. Yep. And just getting that, you know, again, we've talked about it, but in the Euro leagues, you know, the way he argues is kind of hi, how are you? Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what they do right here. That's not what they do. Mm -hmm. I mean, you see some of it, but, but you see a lot of it where he will take the defensive position off because he's still yelling or, you know, I think some of the free throws may be because he's still upset, right. Mm -hmm. Or whatever it is. And he needs to just get mentally, he's still a 21 year old kid. We've got to understand that. That's a good point. You know, growing up and saying, you know what, you know, Pick your spots when you're arguing and and just channel it into your game over and over and don't let it don't let it rattle you. Do you ever have a problem reconciling all of that when you still realize that he was fourth in the league in free throw attempts this year? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, right. and, 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 and part that, of that is the Shaq that, factor, right? Shaq got fouled every time and the way he plays and the way he's going to the rim and all that, you know, he he is getting fouled a lot. Mm-hmm. And you know, he's earning those trips and he probably does deserve more. Right. Hey, Mavs fans, Kent Garrison here from The Athletic. I know you're enjoying this post-game breakdown from Brian Damaris and Mark Followell, but I want to tell you about a little company that Mark Cuban invested in called Manscaped. Summer's not over and guys, you want to make sure when you hit the beach that you're ready to go. You need that lawnmower 3.0. It's the best hygiene tool for the modern man. It's got that ceramic blade, safe skin technology, keeps you safe from all those unwanted snacks. For a limited time, our subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped boxer briefs. Get 20% off and free shipping with code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. 20% off and free shipping with code THEATHLETIC20 with Manscaped.
Well, it was a tremendous series and year. I mean, and 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 just so people know, I think to, to in case people missed it, to clarify your point on him being an MVP, like lead dog sort of candidate next year, you think that there could be Giannis fatigue, right? If he, I, I'm assuming he's going to win. I think he will. That's two in a row, and so right. I think there's Giannis fatigue. I think there's Harden fatigue, and I don't know that that LeBron will do that again. Right. So those are the three that I really. And, and, I, don't, and I don't see anybody, you know, you may see a Donovan Mitchell or even a Jamal Murray have a, you know, considering what they're doing in the playoffs, maybe they'll take a big jump next year. But I, I would say Luke is the, you know, the, the lead, the lead horse. The, uh, the mystery guest, although it's not really a mystery guest, but, but uh, no, Damian Lillard. Okay, sure. I mean, it would depend on what kind of year Portland has. Yeah, I think that has a lot to do with it. Unless he's, unless you do like what Russell did the year he won the, with the triple double, and just have such an amazing statistical year that the yep. team record doesn't matter as much. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I think that there is, and rightly so. I mean, he was just everybody loved watching him in the bubble. Uh, he played at such a high level. He he you know, carried the team into the playoffs. I mean, he said, I don't have any interest in going down there if we don't have a chance to make the playoffs and went down there and did that. So he would be somebody I think that would be on, uh, you know, in that conversation as well, potentially. Well, let's, uh, let's put our GM hats on for a while. Okay. Everybody loves to play. Sure. Fantasy GM. And when we'll have another episode of this at some point, obviously, as we get closer to whenever that day is going to be, because we don't know. Yes, it yeah. was initially October 17th or 18th. They pushed that back now or, yeah. or made that a tentative date. So uh, we'll see, because they don't know when they're going to start the season now, and that's still up in the up in grabs, whether it could be Christmas. Um, let's talk first about what the cap situation is. Okay. Uh, it Fire looks away. like that they are basically – I guess the big issues at hand are what is Hardaway going to do with his player option? It's an $18 million player option. Um, he could pick it up and get his 18 million, or he could play the field and try to sign another deal or resign here, which I would assume would be for a lower number, but longer years, right? You know, more security, uh, long term. Um, that's going to affect the cap. Let's say he opts into his eighteen million. Willie Colley Stein has about two point two million mm-hmm. as an opt in, which I would be shocked if he didn't take. Right. Um and that would basically put you kinda at the at the at the number. You so know? you'd have the middle level exception. You'd have the middle level exception of nine million or mm-hmm. so. Nine and change. Um now you're gonna wanna I would assume bring back Trey Burke at some some feasible number. So he's one of the really interesting talking points of the offseason to me. Uh, I I really enjoyed watching him play. I do think there's something to be said for a guy sometimes takes a while, especially when you're a heralded player coming out of college, as he was, keep in mind, Brian, he was the NCAA player of the year when he came out of Michigan as a sophomore in 2013. Was drafted ninth overall, but he was the player of the year in college basketball. Um, I, I think, you know, for, for especially for a player like that who doesn't come into the league and, and doesn't seem like he has a game that's made for being a heavy, high-minute player and a star player in the league, figuring out who you are and, and you know, what you can do to really help a team win may take a while. Uh, plus, I'm really – look, I, I loved his interview when he was on the ticket last week. Uh, loved, uh, you know, the uh, the 
way he spoke about his, you know, embrace his own struggles and how he's gotten to this place and that he does play fear with a fearlessness, which I really like. Um, and you know, he, he just, it was a great interview, man. He seemed so appreciative of what, you know, Bob and Corby were saying to him and, um, you know, that, that, that they recognized his game and what he was doing for the team. So I like him. I like his game. I like his demeanor and I think he would help the team. Um, now, that would be as a bench spark plug, and I can live with the streakiness because, I mean, that's... And let's be clear, it's a bench spark plug. We're not talking about a starter here. Yeah. He played starter minutes here out of necessity because of injury. Mm-hmm. This is a reserve player. Yeah, of course, no question. But I think they could use a bench spark plug guy. Yes. Um, you now, know, the I, question is... I mean, the, the Mavs were 12th in the league in bench scoring this year, the 38 points The question is the fit. You've got Brunson coming back. You've got Seth Curry here. And we know Luke is the point guard. And if Tim Hardaway Jr. is either you're going to start a small guard next to Luca, one of these guys that we just talked about, or and move Hardaway up to the three, which then are you talking Finney Smith at the four and Porzingis at the five? I don't think that's what they would do. Um, so you're looking at maybe three small guards off the bench: Curry, Brunson, and Burke. Right. And you know where do you? Where's there room for all those guys? Because I, I just and, I think there's so, something to be, be said clear. for Burke's Burke's ability to really score a lot, even if it's even if you have to deal with a two for ten like today. Right. There's a there's That's a what he is. And yeah. Like I said, there's a reason that he's hopped around because he is inconsistent, but he is fearless. Yes. And and it seems like he's got a little bit more consistency and a little bit more comfort in his game and a system that that takes advantage of his strengths that plays to his strengths and that potential any night for there to be a big burst is very enticing to me. Um, we don't have bird rights, so you're going to you're gonna have to... Pay, use some of your mid-level. So use some of your mid-level on him. He's not going to be more than a $5 million player, I don't think. I mean, we're not right. talking about you know double digits for this guy. So mm-hmm. he's a reserve, and he's going to get reserve money. Uh, you know, Maybe a Finney Smith-type deal. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I, I, would, I would be okay using some of that. And the reason I would is what we'll get to in a bit is, you know, what the free agency class really looks like. But if Hardaway and Cauley Stein opt out, which we don't think is likely, obviously, for Cauley Stein, then they would have $18 million in room. It is interesting to note that there are five teams that have, you know, over $19 million in room. The Knicks, who are holding their space. Miami, well... Yeah, they're holding their space for 2021. Miami is as well. And then Atlanta, Charlotte, and there's one other team. But there's not a lot of money out there. Mm-hmm. And there's also not a lot of free agents out there. Right. But uh, the other thing is looking at what the Mavs have in their own cupboard. You have Kid Gilchrist, who, you know, if he wants to come back on a minimum as a defensive specialist, fine. But I'm not doing much more. Yeah, than of, that. Course, of course. Of yeah, course. Uh, that's, that's, I, I, I don't even. Well, we'll see. We'll see what's out there. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a decision that's made right at camp. Yeah. Uh, Courtney Lee. Now his twelve million dollars is coming off the books, but you know, it was interesting to note even with his injury before the bubble, they kept him on the roster. I think they want to keep him around. Mm-hmm. They like his locker room presence. They like, frankly, what he delivers to on the court. And he would take a massive pay cut, but I think that's somebody that they would also bird rights bring back at a low number, though. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very low number. I would be, uh, I would be interested Three in that. Four million dollars, something. Yeah, like that. great locker room guy, and I would be interested in they that. They wouldn't have kept him around if I don't think they had that. They would have cut him and signed somebody if they don't didn't have the that in the their back of their mind. I think. I, I think it's clear that um, 
veteran leadership on the team is still something that they need to have. Although Luca took, you know, big strides obviously this year as a leader, but he's still, as we said earlier, we have to keep reminding ourselves he's 21 and a half years right. old. So, uh, Cleveland and Reims, you know, restricted Reeves regardless. Yeah. Uh, Two way guy is still a project. And we may, we may have seen the end of JJ Barea. I mean, it's, it's, uh, which makes me very sad. It, it does. But the good news is I would fully expect him to just move right to the, to the coaching side mm-hmm. on the, with the Mavs. I wonder, do you think JJ and, you know, I know JJ, I mean, we both do, but I've never had this like kind of conversation with him because it's just not my place to, I don't feel like to kind of initiate a conversation like this. Um, you don't just saddle up to him and say, start hey, talking about yeah, it. <laughs> what, what's up with your career? Um, is JJ is still playing and getting every last minute out of his body more important to him than just his love and attachment to this city and franchise. I wonder, I think there is a definite desire to keep playing. Okay. Uh, I don't know if the realities are going to face him. In other words, could he sign for minimum somewhere? I don't think there's any question that JJ could latch on with somebody Uh, to me. I mean, obviously I'm the, you know, you and I are both enormous JJ homers and, you know, the other aspect is his family. Does he want to move his family or does he want to be away from them and kind of do a, you know, what Chris Paul did when he moved, when he got traded to Houston initially or things like, or Oklahoma city and mm-hmm. not move his family. I don't think he wants to do that. Um, and you know, it depends on what the offer is in Dallas. I know that, you know, Mark said publicly like JJ is a Mav for life. I mean, I, I don't think there's any question that he would move to player development and, and, on a track to becoming assistant, you know, a front of the bench assistant coach and, mm-hmm. and all of that. And who knows, maybe even higher level than that one. And if, and if the mo- and if the money is, you know, good enough there, does that, you know, does that kind of make you think, okay, I don't have to move my family and I may not play as much anyway. And so I'll just start this next chapter of my career and I like it here and I'm mentoring Luca and Luca likes me and, you know, all of that, uh, that that's kind of what I think his off season is going to be. Well, you brought up a really interesting thing. And and the the interview that was on Fox Sports Southwest with Luca and I and, and the longer version of it, you know, a five and a half minute version made air an eight and a half minute version is on social. Is this the one with your three Emmys in the background? Yeah, though there were four. I didn't I didn't get those okay. in the camera shot, unfortunately. So the the I did I did <laughs> I did like one of the uncut the uncut version where you you show the the Emmy to the camera and say, you don't have one of these, buddy. <laughs> you may be an all-star, voted in an all-star, but check in with me about the Emmy. The other part where your wife's trying to bring the wedding photo in and you're, you're moving it out of the picture so your other fourth Emmy can make it. There is a wedding photo in the background, so if somebody can spot that in that interview other way. Um, so one of the things that did not, that ended up on the cutting room floor is... Um, I asked him some questions, some fun questions, and you know, it just it didn't it didn't his answers honestly to the to the real questions were just so good that the goof off questions just sort of never really you know didn't have the payoff uh, to to leave in the interview. But I asked about uh, the best ping pong player down there and the best pickleball player, um, and he kept on saying me and JJ, yeah. and when something about golf came up. Um, or, or he talked about uh, what they were doing down there and he brought up golf and how JJ plays so much golf and he's addicted. So <laughs> he's, there is clearly a relationship there. 
They're uh, very tight. Yeah. They're and, very tight. Yeah. Then then there's the language aspect of yes. it, of course. I mean, that's 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 a huge uh, aspect of things, but there's there is a major mutual admiration society that goes yeah. on between those and two. And so, guys. you know, listen, does that you know, does that make the Mavs sign him to a minimum deal just to have a buddy? I don't know, or you know, pay him more to be an assistant coach or what have you. Um I think that does play a role as well. I think my favorite part of the Luke interview you had was when you you know, you, you mentioned him being twenty one and he corrected you and saying he was twenty one and a half. <laughs> Which is what five-year-olds do when you <laughs> yeah. ask them if they're five. <laughs> when you get a little older, Luca, you won't be doing that. Um, I wonder, do you think, okay, let me just ask you this. Does the buddy relationship, does that dynamic change when J.J. crosses over from player to assistant coach? Or can you still have... I don't think so. I think that he would... Is that a dumb question? Or you think there's... No, but I, I think it's more of a... I think he would start as kind of a DA-level player development coach. Gotcha. Where you know, he would be the, the point guards coach, right. And work with them. And, 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 uh, you know, I think actually it would be a positive thing to kind of have this, uh, relationship between Rick and the players where there's somebody who can, you know, translate Rick to the players yeah. and back and forth. Right. Yeah. Who's, who's part of the coaching staff, but also speak, who speaks player and speaks Rick. Right. Yeah. That would make JJ what that would give him four languages that he spoke. Right. Yeah. Speaking Rick is definitely a language. <laughs> Six G. Sure. What is that? Yeah. Well, that's, you bring up a really interesting thought to, to all of that. Um, you know, I know we're talking about somebody who played 30 out of 75 games or 29 out of 75 games, whatever yeah, but it was. He's got a but championship he's, resume. And yeah, I he, think he's, he's an important part of this franchise. You know, veteran leadership is important now. You know, he's not a, he doesn't have the cachet that a regular contributor would have in the locker room, but he's still listened to there and he, he, he wields his stick softly. He kind of is more of a consigliere where he'll whisper in your ear and kind of yeah. be that kind you know, he's not going to stand up in front of the team and, and, and say something, but he'll mm-hmm. pull you aside and say, Hey, you know, this is, let's handle this this way, or here's what they mean or what have you. Well, I can assure you, and you know this, I mean, the amount of respect that he has amongst every member of the organization is immense. Uh, players, broadcasters, coaches. I mean, he's, you know, as we all know, uh, incredibly, incredibly highly thought of, uh, that's why it was so emotional in the locker room that night after he got hurt in Minnesota, oh, yeah. you know, with the, with the Achilles. I mean, yeah. I've, heard stories that it was uh a very very somber uh you know locker room in minnesota the night that he but blew as, out as achilles as steve nash told me you know you you maximize your playing time because you're never going to make that kind of money again right and you're never going to have those experiences again yeah and know? so you know yeah some people go into broadcasting and make good money but those numbers aren't very big right and uh you know it, it, it that's the weird thing about being an athlete is you go from making millions to, you know, signing baseball cards because you've got to, you know, continue <laughs> to put some, you know, make money for whatever reason. And so, yeah, they, they want to maximize that playing time. And, and, you know, if it's not here, does he go somewhere? I don't know, but let's talk about, you know, the ways you, you build a team, right. Are, are the draft free agency trades and, you know, just, undrafted free agents you can sign uh the trade market i think is going to be tough for this team because they don't have first round picks to trade and you got to give up something and frankly what are you going to give up you right. know the, you've got dodo maxi and seth who are on 
you know, single digit deals, but yeah, what are you going to give up? That's going to get you back something that you want. Right. Yeah. So I don't know that there's going to be a lot there. Uh, you know, undrafted guys are going to give you people on the, on the margins and that's fine. Um, the draft is probably not going to yield you a lot. You have two ticks, two picks in the top 31, but let's be yeah. honest, you're not going to get game changers there. Yeah. What are you? 21 and 21 and 31, I think. Right. I so, never, can't even remember what their first round. So really is. it's, it's the free agent market. And the reality is after the blockbuster summer we had last year, there are just not a lot of names out there. Right. I went through every single name today in the 2020 list, including player options, teams options, restricted the whole nine yards, mm-hmm. and put a list together. Uh, now remember that 2021 is a big year, and I think that's where it's at, man. Uh, so you don't want to make moves now that are going to impinge what you have in 2021, because depending on what you do with Hardaway, uh, you could have a max slot available in 2021. Mm-hmm. And Luca's playoff performance and what you think he could be next year in terms of MVP caliber. I mean, this is it, dude. This, the, I mean, God, I can't believe I'm already like talking myself into this because of all of our free agent disappointments that we've had around here. But this is the moment. 2021 being I, what I'm saying is that this is the guy that can bring you the guy. Right. And, and, and that'll and be the agency. end of his third year. So he's still on his rookie year and you can sign then before he starts getting his max money. Right. So, and that, so it's so vitally important to get that one right. You have to start building the right team around him. We all know that this current team, the current mix isn't working for a championship squad, right? Yeah. It's fine for the building, but they've got to put the right pieces around uh, for a lot of different reasons. So let me just throw you the 2020 names that, Stuck out to me. There aren't a bunch of them, but... Okay, fire away. Uh, Miami's got three of them. Derek Jones Jr. was a, a name that obviously was involved in a potential trade that we almost made mm-hmm. uh, last year on July 1st. Right. Um, not a great three-point shooter, but athletic, you know... Uh, I don't High flyer. Yeah. High flyer. He's, Dunk contest kind of guy. He's but. free. He's free-free. I mean, you know, not a... Not a huge difference maker, but again, a name that had been associated with the Mavs before. I think there's, I mean, I, I, I like what they've got working from a 3 and D standpoint already. Uh, now, here's a name I like, and I don't, I don't know that many people are with me on it, but it's Goran Dragic. Um, and it's a Band-Aid. It's a one-year kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he knows how to play with Luka in the backcourt. Uh, he can close games for you if you don't want to start him. He can... You know, create his own shot. He can shoot from three. He's not going to give you anything defensively, but it is in situations like this where Luca's being trapped. It's a guy that you can get the ball to and can help run your offense a little bit. Um, maybe at the uh, right price. At the right price, sure, sure. I want to I, keep keep running down your list, and I'll tell you. I, I don't have a list, but I have like a couple of concepts I want to kick. Around I have here. two stars on my list. Two 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 names that I've starred. Here's one. Okay, of them. Jay Crowder. Um, man, three point percentage dropped quite a bit. Shooting forty four percent as a Miami Heat. Okay, so uh, as but a it was member like of the Miami Heat, twenty nine percent in Memphis. So I guess you know. So so, he, so the better team gives him better looks. Yeah, and he's hitting him. Okay, all right. There's there's something fair to be said for that. Um, possibly. Okay, he could okay. even play your you know four minutes for you and, and not not tax Maxi as much. Yeah, and help you defensively. 
with, you know, being bigger and can hit the three. And I don't know. I, interesting name. Okay. What's your other starred name? Uh, I'll get to that. Let me go through some other names first. Okay. All right. Danilo Gallinari. Expensive. No, uh, no D. Obviously can hit shots and. Not interested. Just dismissing that. Just swatting that like Maxie did today. <laughs> yeah, not interested, man. And then getting the 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 yell in the face from Boban. Uh, Dario Saric. Um, really shot well from three this year. Yeah. He's free-free? Yeah. He's okay. Uh, Again, I, it's... And, 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 this is from the... This is the 2 a.m. at the bar scraps, right? Yeah. I mean, this is all we've got. <laughs> okay. So these are the best names I could grab. And I, I, meant, I, I played some assumptions on who's picking up options and things like that. But, um, you know, the, 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 the calculus is, are they worth whatever you've got to pay versus what you already have on hand, right? Yes. Are they that much of an upgrade? I would say not interested. And I'll get to why I'm not interested in a lot of these names here in a little bit. But. Bryn Forbes. Uh, love his ability to shoot. I mean, love the outside shooting. I mean, I think we're having the same discussion, though, um, just kind of like with when I was brought up Burke, the idea. I mean, he's bigger, um, but but just not a lot of size there. I mean, shooting is important, but not a, a really big guard. So uh, more of the same. Yeah, more of the same. Uh, these are two names that I don't think are going anywhere, but Ibaka and Van Vliet are both free. Um, I mean, Ibaka would be on some level that would be kind of intriguing, but again, you know, we've got, you know, Powell's coming back and how does he fit into the mix? And so, I mean, that would, you know, I don't think he would, I mean, you're going to make him your starting four alongside Porzingis. Um, right. You know, and how old is he now? What is he, 29, 30 uh, years old? Depends on what paperwork yeah. you look at. <laughs> okay. But I don't, I don't think they're going anywhere. Uh, a guy we're watching now as we record this, Jordan Clarkson, who's, who's played really well in, these, in the bubble. Well, if you want to go that direction for your burst off the bench guy, I mean, you know, he certainly is that, but I think he's going to cost you a whole lot more money. Um, you know, but he's a... Yeah, he's gotten himself into the teens. Yes, he has. I mean, he's a... Look, that was a fantastic trade that Utah made. That is one of the single best trades of the year. What was the trade again? Dante Exum. Ah, Jordan number, Crawford. Former number three pick. Yeah. Dante Exum, who, with all due respect, has done next to nothing in his time in the league. Yeah. Um, and, and Utah had one of, at the time, the worst benches in the league. So that was a fantastic, that doesn't get headlines kind of trade. Uh... Somebody who didn't cover the bubble to save for his free agency, Davis Bertans. Ooh, that is a good one. Davis Bertans. Um, like what he would bring to the table. Gives you outside shooting. Not a lot of defense, but I feel like the number is just going to be too much. Because, again, it's going to get into my next feeling about and I don't know what he's been historically. Obviously, he had a great three-point shooting year, and whether uh, that's a fluke or not. It's, it's not a fluke. Okay. Yeah, he's, his San Antonio days were, were always up in the very high 30s, low 40s. And my favorite name, restricted, is Bogdan Bogdanovich. Uh, turned yeah. down a four-year, $51 million deal at the beginning of the year, so obviously he's looking for much more than that. Mm -hmm. um, obviously restricted, but I think with the amount of money that Sacramento has committed, now they've got a new regime there now. Right. Dumars is calling the shots. Um you know, but they've got a lot of money committed to everybody else, Heald and Fox and 
Harrison Barnes and everybody else can, you know, if you put enough, a meaty enough offer out there, can you get them? Now you've got to make that room available somehow, but, right. um, you know, again, not going to give you a lot defensively, but, or, or you really, just, or you just got to have a deal worked out with the team, basically with, with Sacramento and the player, you know, like how, remember last year, Malcolm Brogdon was right. You're going to trade him. Now you don't have a first to trade, but you can give him some seconds or something sure, like whatever, that. whatever that would be. Um, you could, you I get, like him a lot. That would get me interested. Okay. That would get me interested, but so that's so of the names, that's your most interested. Yes, because that's a that's somebody that works in the in the long term vision. Because look, to me, here's the the reason that I didn't get really excited about a lot of those names is is how much better are they than what you already have? So that means to me, it's like okay, well, sure, you can make an argument that Dario Shards is an upgrade over the seventh or eighth guy on the roster. But how do you fit him in here without compromising 2021? Correct. So I got to say, I mean, I think part of the issue for me is um, as however the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over <laughs> again, uh, I'm all in on the 2021 free agency class because it's like I just I look at Luca and I look what he did this year and I look what he did in the playoffs and what we think he's going to do next year. And that people now are going to want to come play with him. Yes, because this is not talking about playing with a guy that was in his 30s like Dirk was. This is talking about playing with a guy who's a global icon basketball-wise at 21 and a half years old. And let, let, let me add one other thing too. You, The closest guy that you mentioned to this was Jay Crowder. However... Um, when I think about roster construction of this team and, and clearly I'm all in on the idea of a star that has to be added to this one more star type or close to it, you know, improvement in third option, basically this team needs a tough guy. This team needs an enforcer for as much as Marcus Morris pissed us all off in this series. We need somebody like that here. Now, you know, I, I, mine is crossing the line and doing the dirty stuff. But then, of course, we wouldn't feel like it was that dirty if it was somebody on our team. So, um, you know, and I saw actually some other tweets about that during the game today. Uh, and I believe that, as a matter of fact, on the ESPN broadcast today, Richard Jefferson said at halftime that Luca and Porzingis get into a lot of scuffles. And, and so, they shouldn't be. Yeah, and there needs to be somebody else that's right. doing the scuffling. Exactly. This, this team needs, and of course, this is an easy comp for me to make, but we always go back to things that we're familiar with and that we're successful. This team needs it's Deshaun Stevenson. And I mess with Deshaun. Yeah, and, and I was actually kicking this around a little bit with Harp off the air, and he said the one thing about it is, and, and you know, it's, it's a little bit harder for that enforcer guy to be a guard. So, you know, if the, when, when, the, when the rough dude is Marcus Morris, who's 6'8", and is, you know, one of your forwards, that's a little bit different. Uh, so this team needs an enforcer caliber player. I mean, I think, look, uh, Rick says, and, and we're usually pretty good about our language here on the podcast, but I'm going to have to say this the way that Rick says it to, to make sure that everybody understands where we're coming from on this. Rick has said in the past, you can't win a team, you can't win with a team full of milk drinkers, but you also can't win with a team full of assholes. So you've got to have a mix of the two. You, you've got to have some milk drinkers, but you've got to have an asshole on the team. You know? And it's got to be somebody that the team likes. I mean, I speak Rick, so. <laughs> milk drinkers. I love that. That's, yeah. You've, you've, look, Rick did not, when things were getting talky, uh, and Jet was saying, you know, what, LeBron can't shut me down for seven games and, and uh, all the business with the fake coughing and stuff like that. 
and things that guys were saying to LeBron. Rick didn't have any problem with the Mavs and his guys talking. Um, you know, he just said, make it meaningful and make it something that you can back up. I mean, Rick played in Boston and those Boston teams were there tough as nails, talker, dude. Yeah. They were talkers. They were tough as nails. They would fight. They would deliver a hard foul. And Rick's basketball upbringing, uh, in terms of his short window of time as a player, uh, was with Larry Bird. And Kevin McHale. I mean, today we talked about, in light of that Morris play, the game has changed. I mean, remember the Kevin McHale, Kurt Rambus clothesline situation back in the finals in the 80s. So Rick comes from a background of toughness. Uh, Rick said before today's game that elimination games are played with a higher sense of urgency and a higher level of force. Level of force is one of Rick's favorite things that he talks about. He uses that, you know, play with force, play with force. That is a, is that, that is a thousands pet, of events. That is a thousands of event. That is a pet phrase of Rick's. So he is all about playing at a very high level uh, of toughness and force. So, uh, you know, he would, you know, he would, if we had him on the podcast right now, he'd find some way to give us a non-answer answer, but right. But they need a tough guy. So, and I don't know that that you could, I mean, to be, to be honest with you, Brian, like, like kind of where I am on this is maybe you can find the tough guy this offseason, but I feel like a lot of what we're looking at for next year is can you add some lesser pieces and then hope for more internal improvement that moves you from a seventh seed to a four to a four right. type seed to a, to to battling for home court in the first round so you're in a position to take a step and win a series and then the home run is hit in the summer of 2021. That's that's my big picture vision of roster composition for this for the team. So going through the names I just went and what you just said and the desire to stay 2021 healthy cap wise. Uh, I think the battle we're going to have on Twitter over the next few months is the people screaming for improvement when the reality is our team's going to look pretty much the same. Yeah, I mean, I want to improve. And so Bogdanovich... But those improvements are going to be on the margins outside of a big swing like that. Yeah. And even then, I mean, there might be, you know, there might be some debates to, to you know, Bogdanovich is 20... He's 28, maybe, something like that, 28, 29. I mean, he had – look, his uh, FIBA World Cup last year was phenomenal. He was leading scorer of the entire FIBA World Cup playing for Serbia. So, um, you know, that would be something that I would maybe consider, okay, can you accelerate the plan and that's the guy that you go after that you're going to plug in to be your third option. But, but then you've got to either create the room or work out a deal. Um, because and, if we're looking at this team – realistically. Yeah. And I'm talking about the team you want to have three or four years from now. You know, we know what our two anchors are at the one and the five. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, is Finney Smith, one of those five closers. I'm kind of okay with that. Right. Um, depending on who the third and fourth options on offense are, but, but I think, I think what we found is that we need a, an upgrade from what Hardaway is giving us. If Tim Hardaway is your fourth option, dude, you got a squad. Right. When Tim is your third option, you have the kind of team that the Mavs had this year, which is good and maybe has some room for improvement depending on what some of the other guys around do. But, you know, we're talking about maybe improving, like I said, to being in the conversation of being a four or five, you know, getting into that four or five matchup. And that's what's interesting about his contract situation is, you know, are they going to assign him to a, a lower number for three years or is he going to play out this number and that 
you know, because if he does sign even for 12, that eats into your, your money in yeah. 2021. Yeah, you're going to have to find a way to move other guys. You're going to have to find a way to get off other money, which right. certainly is possible. And um, they do have you know, movable deals because they're all in single digits. But, you but know, somebody's got to want those players. It's maybe in, in some ways just because the deals are so good that that can overshadow some of the mm-hmm. not maybe wanting DeLon Wright or somebody like that. Right. But that's going to be a real key decision, uh, you know, in the next three months. Um, and then the question is the four, right? Or however you want to label that fifth slot. Um, you know, Powell's going to be back. Mm-hmm. And how do you fit Powell in now when we – really kind of like Porzingis at the five. Right. But we also recognize that, Powell, that a lob threat on the floor is great with Luka and what a great lob finisher Powell is. So does he come off the bench as the Yeah, and but we backup. also have to have the discussion of he's coming off an Achilles. Right. And so how does that all work? But so, you would think by December he's got enough time recovered, and mm-hmm. but maybe it does take him another year to kind of get back into shape. Who knows? Um, I mean, nobody's going to work harder to get himself back. I just think right. we all know what the reality of coming off an Achilles is, and there are, you know, there are there are limitations, there are ceilings, and and there are levels. Uh, it's just it's an injury to ever. It's to hard to recover from and get back to to what you once were. Uh, so, so yeah. So I think the battle we're going to have is with the fan who just do something, do something when actually kind of just making changes on the margins is the best thing for this offseason. To position yourself for 2021. And, 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 you know, as you mentioned, the internal improvement yeah. going there, uh, which, well, which then, you know, and let's be honest, I think next year your goal should be four seed and winning a playoff series. Yes, I agree with that. Yeah, four or five seed in that match. Because the four or five seed, the, you know, the, that, is a, that is almost a 50-50 series historically. Uh, the four seed has a little like like it's it depending on if Houston brings it over the finish line. I think that the it would be a forty to thirty four. Forty wins by the four seeds, thirty four wins by the five seeds in the history of that matchup. So getting up to that matchup, you know, is kind of is and kind of part ideal. of that is playing better on the road. Uh, or ex- excuse me, playing better at home, playing <laughs> better, year. playing better in late game situations, and more, more importantly, playing better in late game situations. I mean, Brian, again, the they maps, won by I think. 14 points a game and lost by six points a game yeah. in this, you know, this year. The Mavs lost 10 games this year when they had the lead in the final minute. Yeah. 10 games were lost that you were leading in the final minute. Now, and I don't know. Like, part of that, and again, it goes back to offensive system and construction. Mm-hmm. Of if, if Luka's getting targeted, you know, the way they play in the last two minutes is the way they played in the playoffs. You're targeting him. So the other players can't play hot potato. You got to hit the shots and you need some playmaking. And so that's all part of how we build this. The problem is there's not easy answers for that this offseason. I I do understand. I mean, you know, if if we hear from people who listen to this podcast or maybe just whenever we get to free agency, whenever it's going to be, and if the Mavs adopt this philosophy of not, you know, uh, pushing their chips in on the table, um, you know, I get why people will be will have some reluctance about that because if we're if we're loading up for 2021, I mean, I said it jokingly a minute ago, but there is truth, and uh, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again. And so, if you're going to load up on a free agency yeah. summer, um, you, you, you know, can't our, have our success- what happened last year, which I'll I'll say it was a disaster. You can't have 30 million dollars in cap space, probably. Third or fourth most space in, in there and, and end up with DeLon Wright and Seth Curry. That sorry. That's not good. Yeah. Yep. 
No, so, they, they they thought it was going to be Kimba, and it just yeah, it just didn't work they, out. Yeah, and and the plan B, you know, the opportunistic plan B didn't work out. Uh, so very quickly as we've gone super long on this uh, autopsy edition, um, but since we won't be around for a while, we thought we'd go a little bit longer. Sure. Let's talk about the playoffs and kind of what we see um, going forward. Well, I have to say that at the beginning of the playoffs, if you said if there were going to be a Clipper-Laker matchup in the playoffs, that I would take the Clippers. Um, And I got to say that I don't know if I feel the same way now having watched them for six games because of how hard the Mavs made them work. And to be perfectly honest with you, dude, how much the Lakers kicked it into gear after Portland surprised them in game one. I mean, there were some dominant performances by the Lakers against Portland moving forward. Not every one of them were, but but uh, the Lakers really elevated their game. Uh, Anthony Davis uh, has been dynamite and has played with a real... I mean, I saw like the highlight of him like ripping one of those rebounds away from... I mean, yeah. Hazonia, I mean, it looked like uh, Brian and Ted Damaris playing basketball. Yeah, there's, there's <laughs> no was... chance, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the Clippers are just going to wipe the floor with whoever comes out of this Denver-Utah series. Yep, and as we're recording right now, Denver's leading in the fourth quarter. They're, they might force a game seven, Brian. Oh, man. Um the, the one series we don't want to see more of, and they're going to give us seven games of, of these two knucklehead teams. <laughs> so we're going to see the Clippers in one of the finals, I think. And, and uh, I think Houston's going to end up, now that Russ is back and getting his sea legs, uh, I, I think they'll take Oklahoma City. Yes. And I think that'll be a really interesting series, Lakers and Houston. But uh, give me the Lakers. Yeah. I, I, I You know, it, this is setting up uh, for – a Lakers-Clippers-Western Conference Finals that I think will be dynamite, but I feel a lot differently than I did at the beginning of the bubble uh, and at the beginning of the playoffs. Now, having seen how well the Mavs played against the Clippers, I think the Lakers uh, have a much better chance than I gave them. Um, and, you know, maybe maybe Toronto's run up against the I mean, I like Boston's team. Um, you know, love how Kemba, what he can do in a late game situation. So, so I, I think, think what Boston- you saw Sunday is probably emblematic of that series where, you know, Siakam it now has to be the star and he's not exactly ready to be the star. And so now yeah. they just have a lot of really good guys, but you need studs yep. to kind of, you know, take over. And I think Boston will, Listen, Toronto's a really good team. They'll make it a series, and they'll have great defensive adjustments, and their players will play well. And you know, Siakam will go off one or two games, but I think Boston takes that. Yeah, you know, remember whenever this whole thing started, and I even said it. I mean, after Portland won their first game, and Orlando, and the Mavericks won game two, it's amazing how that this whole effect of the bubble hasn't been the leveler that we thought it would. I mean, maybe there's going to be a six seed upset, a three seed. Uh, but, but nothing, you know, I mean, the East, as you pointed out, three of the, what, three series ended in sweeps in the first round. Right. And, and the other one was a five gamer. It, I was talking to somebody yesterday who dabbles in gambling and data <laughs> okay, and w- was really excited when this is all over to, to really delve into what home court advantage really means in basketball, mm-hmm. because this now will have the data. Yeah, it will be, uh. That would be interesting. That's a, that's all I'm going to say about it. Yeah. <laughs> that um, would be interesting. But I think that in the other series, you know, uh, you know, the East was obviously a, a four-team series. I think Milwaukee will end up just because of their ability to score better than what Miami can do, and, and mm-hmm. 
what Giannis can do. We'll win that. And then uh, listen, Milwaukee and Boston is going to be a really good series. I, I love Giannis. I, I believe in Milwaukee, but I don't believe in those other players. I think Bledsoe and Middleton mm-hmm. are dudes. Yeah. And they, they crap their pants sometimes. <laughs> gotcha. So I don't know. I think, in, you know, in the beginning of the season, I said Clippers and Milwaukee and the Clippers would win. I'll just go with that to go with it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I kind of agree with you that both of those teams have have some holes. Um, I something I don't know, man. I'm kind of feeling I'm kind of feeling Laker vibe, to be honest with you. Um, you know, from from the beginning. Uh, through through a lot of how and by by what I mean by the beginning from who was one of the most vocal players during this shutdown about oh we you know we want to come back and play LeBron uh, who was one of the most critical figures in navigating the waters of the boycott of games and the stoppage for three days this past week uh, LeBron and basically saying you know. If, if if Milwaukee is going to do this and we're going to support them, then there's no point in just restarting playing without having an action plan here. Right. And, Otherwise, we look stupid if we just started without anything that has come of it. Yeah. And LeBron took that leadership role and uh, you know sought counsel from Barack Obama. And I just there's a there's a seriousness about LeBron uh, in terms of his on court approach and off court approach. Um, you know, to, to winning another title and, and to, you know, all of the, the, the things that he does from, uh, you know, community initiative engagement and, and social justice engagement off the floor that, uh, I don't know, there's just something about, about what he has been involved in and done over the last few months. I'm, I'm just kind of getting a vibe on that. Yeah, I think it's silly that he put his own name on the back of his jersey and didn't think that any of those 32 options met with his brand or mission, as he put it, and, uh, you know, I think he still gets tone deaf when he posts selfie videos of him working out. <laughs> but I agree, he has grown up a lot, and he, he does do a lot off yep. the court. And, sure. and and I think a lot of the drama that he would instill in teams in Cleveland, uh, especially a second sit in Cleveland, um, are are not as much now, and he's more of a leader. Mm-hmm. And, and he can bring that group together that has – Let's be honest. A lot of, you know, McGee's and Dion Waiters is yeah. And- sure. That's that, to be honest with you, dude. That's why I kind of thought that that not only did the Clippers have Williams, I thought had better depth pieces. Lou, Montrez Harrell, Marcus Morris, Zubots. They had better depth pieces, but also there was the combustibility factor of some of the depth pieces that exist with the Lakers. You know, taking a chance on guys uh, like Rondo, like Dion Waiters, like J.R. Smith, and that sort of thing. But but. You know, I just well, I think we've seen that the Clippers can be combustible. You know, we see Paul George, you know, how he is. We see Pat Beverly is just a loose, loose cannon and mm-hmm. Marcus Morris. And so, you know, can, when they really get punched by a team that can take them even farther, are they going to crack? Right. So. So, yeah, there's just I don't know. I got a I got kind of a Laker vibe going right now. And and from a Milwaukee perspective, um, the Athletic Zone, Bob Sturm, uh, has said it on the air. And, and, and look, you've alluded to it as well. Um, he is the best player in the game for the first 43 minutes of the game because of what he – because of just his 
uh, jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring uh, ability to do the things that he can do. However, um, you know, he struggles in, in the, you know, you got to go get me a bucket moment when the game slows down and defenses are tight and your lack of ability to make an outside shot, you know, in the last five minutes. So maybe maybe they overcome that and still won a title. Um, they certainly have the pedigree and the resume and the players for it, I think. But but your point about, you know, will he get what he needs out of a supporting cast and can he do what he needs to do in the most crucial moments of the game? And that is a, that's still a big old to be determined at this point. I'm glad you mentioned him, and, and, and I want to close with this, unless you have anything else. No, I, I, think, I um, think that's it, man. Uh, you know, go ahead. I, I, I've said for the last year and a half that, you know, if you're if you're starting a franchise, you know who would you want, and or who would I trade Luca for if you would trade him for anybody? Mm-hmm. You know, considering age and everything. And I said the only person I would even pick up the phone to have a conversation about is Giannis. Right. Uh, I'm not picking up the phone anymore. Wow. I think Luca's gotten to the point where I think he's the, you know, considering all of those factors, age. Uh, you know, runway talent that I'm sorry, but I got my guy. Yeah. No, the Mavs, I, it, it's just, uh, so yeah, we cried stuff. a long time because we passed on Giannis, but if we had gotten Giannis, we wouldn't have Luca and I'm, I'm happy. Yeah, for sure. And then Giannis may win a title. I mean, in it, that may happen this year. I mean, there's sure. And no- they're on a different trajectory. I mean, we got to remember he, you know, his first time in the, in the playoffs, he, airballed a key shot in there, you know. Right. Or or I think he, he drove and 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 uh went for two and they needed three. I mean he kinda of brain farted there late in the game. Like, you know, so I mean we're we're at the two thousand one Mavericks level of this thing and, and it's Or the nineteen ninety seven Kobe or ninety eight Kobe, whatever it was, who did shoot airballs. Air yeah, did I shoot, think that's what know, I was two or three, of. two or three at the end of a critical so game. So it's these are exciting times and yes, there are important decisions to be made and we'll have a a fun time going back and forth about them, but uh, uh, all things considered, um, you know, good season to have under your belt. Yes, yeah, absolutely, man. And uh, you know, somebody I was talking to somebody, and I don't even remember who the heck it was, but but I was um, as we wind things down, uh, making sure that this person I was having a discussion with, I said, well, let's see. So we managed to navigate from late March, you know, because we, we did a couple of podcasts without going, you know, into the guest realm, you know, kind of talking about the, the end of the season or the shutdown of the season. But then, you know, we had to go guest realm for a long time. So who, do, who have we had? Dirk Cuban, uh, Rolando Blackman. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, Kevin Sullivan. Yep, same. Former Rolando White Blackman House and Kevin Sullivan. Director. Yep, same, same episode about Moody Madness. Uh, Mike Breen, voice of the NBA on ABC and ESPN. Uh, Bob Sturm, Jake, Donnie, Donnie Dew, Donovan Lewis, Corby, Skin. I mean, obviously a who's who of local media folks. Craig Ackerman, the voice of the Rockets. Uh, Casey. Edward, Casey Smith, Mavericks athletic trainer, uh, or Mavericks former athletic trainer, now direct, uh, director of uh, athletic health and performance. Uh, Dr. Edward Dominguez, the um, head of infectious disease, Who really at gave Methodist us some Hospital. good insight. Because remember, that was, you know, that was, I think, two months before the bubble or something. We did that in May, maybe yeah. early June. And, and I think they had announced the protocols for what they wanted to do in the bubble, 
in terms yes, of health. Yes, you're exactly yeah. right. It was right after the protocols were announced. After the 113 and, and page his, document. Yeah. His insight was that he thought it would work if they if those were adhered to. Yeah. And, and, and that was when there was a lot of scuttlebutt about, gosh, is this too soon? Should we be doing this? So. Yep. Yep. Uh, Cash Roy. Oh, so yeah. yeah, we've had uh, we've had a lot of good buddies from Cornucopia from, of Stars. Yeah, yeah. So uh, well, I guess we'll be saying goodbye for a while, and maybe uh, after the playoffs are over with, we'll do a little recap of the rest of the playoffs, and then uh, a show probably on the eve of or once free agency's gotten started. And and you know the thing about it is 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 it's everything is such an unknown. We don't know when the draft's going to happen, and when is the draft going to happen relative to free agency? Are they basically going to be like almost within days of each other? Uh, when is next season going to start? And of course, all of the things that are involved with next I season would expect- starting and. The draft for agency to happen sometime in October. The initial dates were middle of October. They may push that back because they may push the season back from the December 1st. They are for sure going to push it back from December 1st to later yeah. in December. So they may push things back. I would expect a Thanksgiving camp, maybe a Christmas start or a little bit before. Yeah. Um, but you're not, uh, you, you don't believe that they would start late because of the desire. If you had to wait to January 15th or February 1st to get fans in the stands because of, vaccines or therapeutics or whatever or just people just yeah, saying know. you know we want to start going to things again and when you know we'll do 50 percent people in the stands because we're just we're ready to move on yeah well you know you could do a, a bubble for 30 to 60 days and then do that didn't go into stands but I, I don't think they want to do that i think owners really want to have fans in the stands no and, question and obviously Absolutely seeing what do. college football and pro football does will be a good harbinger of how that will work out right uh, although it's outdoor versus indoor in a lot of those cases um I do think that obviously the Olympics are something they think about and it may be a situation where I know that, you know, there are vested interests that really want that to occur. Mm-hmm. NBA players to play, namely Nike and shoe companies. Yes. Those are the ones. Yes. Um, the apparel industry wants it to happen. And, and people like LeBron who know that they sell more shoes and make royalties. And so being mm-hmm. there is good for them, but it may be a situation where if you do have to start later, then, you know, if the Olympics do happen, sorry, because we yep. just can't do it. Yep. And some of that, you know, the ratings of how these things are happening in August and September will also play. And if the numbers are just so much lower because people really don't watch TV in August or September, mm-hmm. you know, then then that'll have something to do with it, too. So that's all up in the air. But, uh, uh, you know, we, we navigated, you know, the shutdown and the four and a half months and the the bubble and all of that. So uh, we'll get through it. Yes. Yes, indeed we will. So great stuff. And thanks to all of our listeners. We, we certainly appreciate that. And, and I guess we'll be uh, talking to you whenever developments and situations warrant. All right. Go Mavs and uh, arrows pointed up. Yes, sir. See you. It's a wrap.